I gotta hand it to you. Last week we braved the cold. This week we braved the Chiefs. Sorry. From a Packer fan to a Chief fan. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And I feel your pain. I feel your pain. I just felt it a few weeks earlier than you did. So it's great to have you here. And we are here for a message of hope. Or a message of uh, to show you kind of where we all fit in God's plan A. And this uh, two-week series, is this the second week on it? We, we're going to be talking to you about uh, the whole biblical picture of a church and why, why we need it. Why do we need the church? And so if you have your Bibles, open with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 7, because Paul is going to kind of explain his whole picture of why he's in it, and he's going to call the church in Ephesus to be a part of God's plan A, which is the church. Earlier, Paul was teaching in Galatians 1 and 2 about who Jesus is and what God has done through Christ, and he says, look, through Christ... Those of us, we were far away. We're brought near. Those of us who were enemies of God are now brought into the family of God. So when you think of the church, think about family. Because that's, whether or not you had a great family or not, we're called into a wonderful family where God is our heavenly father. We're his children. And, and our, our, our representative, our brother, is Christ. And so uh, let's take a look at what Paul says about that in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. He says this. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the great, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let's pause there for a moment. Here, Paul uh, grew up in a Jewish environment. He was what he called himself, Jew of all Jews. He, he studied the scriptures. He tried to live the law and the prophets. And when the gospel of Jesus came to him, that it's not in obedience to the law, it's in the completed work of Jesus, that one is made righteous, that one is saved. He took great offense to it. And he was so ticked that he ended up killing Christians as a result of it. The first martyr, Stephen, there was Paul taking, hey, hey guys, put your cloaks down here and throw a rock at Stephen. I mean, that was his role there. And that's why when he came to Christ, it radically transformed his life. And so therefore he called himself, look, I'm, I was the least of all the people in the world that would be a follower of Jesus. But... I was ordained to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And look at this. And then his second thing is verse nine, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized, he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. Let's just pause there. 
What Paul is saying is, look, I am part of God's plan, and I don't know why, I certainly don't deserve this, but I am part of God's plan, and you are, as his church, you're to give the manifold wisdom of God, you're to just enlighten, you're to make Christ known in the world, and give glory to him. And so he calls us in. He says, God, the God of creation, is now inviting people in. And so you as his church reflect him and invite others in. And so he continues. Look what else he says. It's verse 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let's just pull back a little bit and ask the question up to this point. What is the church? Is the church a building? No, it never was. Never has been a building. Matter of fact, they didn't have a building. They met at a, at a temple. At the temple, they met in their homes. And so to define a church as a place is not accurate. You have to define the church as people. And as God looks down from heaven on Topeka this morning, he does not see just Fellowship Bible Church in Topeka. He sees every church that preaches Christ, every church that calls on the name. And there are other churches in Topeka who are preaching the gospel this morning, calling people to Christ. And we celebrate that. We get to be a part of the church with them. But we are a local church right here. And we are a place, and one of the things that we offer every week is life-altering faith. And so the church is people being transformed by life-altering faith. Now, what do we mean by life-altering faith? Well, we mean that faith changes your life. It alters who you are. It alters what your purpose is. It alters what you're doing with your life. It alters everything. Because without faith... It is impossible to please God. Without faith, we tend to be self-dependent on what we're doing or what we have done or whether or not we have enough to, to get what it takes to be saved or to be made righteous. Without faith, we're, we tend to be writing our own story. Without faith, we tend to be finding our own way. But with faith, with faith in Christ, we're God-depending. It's dependent. We're not Based And we don't view our worth or our significance or our value or our dignity based on what we've done or what we're doing or what we're trying to do. We base it on the completed work of Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not what you are doing or what you have done. It's about what Christ has done and what he is doing in your life. So coming to faith will alter even how you relate to God. See, before I met Jesus, there was a tendency in me to want to perform. There, before many of us met Jesus, there was this religious background that we just got to be good enough. And if I'm good enough, my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. And then I can work my way to heaven. But you're always wondering, am I good enough? Did I do enough? Am I in or am I out? And that is not faith. That is fear. That is fear. Always wondering, do I have what it takes? Jesus did. And Jesus knew you couldn't. And so he came and he lived and he died and he rose again for us. So that through Christ, through trusting in him, we can have the righteousness of God. Life-altering faith that'll change your life. It'll change your life. 
And every day, every decision, we have a decision to either do life with God or to do life without God. To make that next decision with God or to make that next decision without God. To hold on to an attitude with God or to pursue a new attitude or a different attitude without God. And so we're called to a life with him in faith. Paul said that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. But look what else he says. Keep reading with me. He says, verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Life-altering faith. The second one is a, is a group of people, a church is people, being transformed by life-giving relationships. Life-giving relationships. Look at the words there he uses. That you would be rooted and grounded in love. And then to comprehend with all the saints. In other words, we're to love God together. Not independently. Not isolated. So that as God's love flows into our lives and it fills our lives, it's to overflow in the people's lives around us. Just as you can do life with God or life without God, you can do life with others or you can do life on your own without others. And we fight, our culture fights this every day, it wakes up. We fight for personal rights, for personal privileges, for position. And when they're taken, when they're threatened, when they're limited, when they're restricted, my goodness, that's the fight. That's the fight of our culture. Don't take that away from me. Don't make my life, you know, not on my own terms. When we call people to absolute truth, they go, don't judge me. Why? Because they don't want any other uh, authority over them. We like to live life on our own terms. But a life following Jesus is, is where we're allowing God to lead us, where we're following him, where we're looking to him for the truth. Life-giving relationships call us from the outside in. And I realize if you're thinking about getting into a small group, which we offer here to provide doing life together with you as you follow Christ, I know that it's kind of overwhelming for you to think about giving up your, you know, some of your rights, some of your uh, priorities so that you can make this an important part of your life. It kind of feels like a a loss of your time and your energy and even your money. Why? Because people are, are expensive, right? Yeah, people are expensive. In the year 1000, a great theologian said, ministry would be great if it weren't for people. (laughs) Yeah, so over a thousand years later, we still understand that. Yes, and there's this thought, let me just keep people out here. Let me keep them distant. But here, Paul's saying, I want you to know of God's love together with the saints. I want you to learn what it's like. And so what that means is that we've got to get beneath the veneer with each other. And can I just say, you all look wonderful today, but I don't see your heart. I don't see your heart. God does. What's happening in the heart? What's motivating it? What's moving it? What's tempting it right now? I can't see that. You just look so good. Good. But God can. And so we're called into environments where you don't just stand up in this environment and share your deepest sin, but there's got to be an environment 
where you're fully known and fully loved because that's the longing of each of our hearts that we would be able to be real and we would be loved at that very moment. And you know, anyone who's ever loved will, t- will show you that really loving someone requires you to step down from yourself, to give up yourself so that you can love them. My marriage over 25 years has taught me that. I've got to step down. I've got to step down. My children have taught me that. I've got to step down from God's, from Joe's plan for their lives as God's plan for their lives. And I got to let them be men of God who pursue after him. I've got to step down from myself. Every relationship with broken, hurting people, any relationship with you, in order for someone to love you, they're going to have to step down from themselves. And you never know how selfish you are until you try to love someone else. But there's something that God shows you, although you can have all that fear and resistance to engaging the community of believers. Uh, Let me just say, when you fight through that and you actually get into an environment where you are fully known and loved, when a group of fellow brothers and sisters say, hey, you don't surprise me by that confession. You don't surprise me by that hurt. You don't surprise me by that raw emotion. And thank you. I'm honored you'd share that. When you have love and acceptance when you do that, my goodness, friendships grow. Because friendships only grow to the level of vulnerability you're willing to give them. And here, Paul says, learn with all, all the saints what is the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of God's love. And then look what else he says. Take a look at verse 20. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. It's almost like he breaks into a prayer, which he does. He concludes it with an amen. But what he was seeing is, hey, look, you are God's plan, church. God could do it with so many other things in so many other ways, but he chooses to use us. We are his plan. There is no plan B. Go and get involved in this thing called the church. Be connected in life-altering faith, life-giving relationships, and here, life-changing experiences. Because he says this, God is at work in you. His power is at work in you. So when you engage him and you take steps and you advance the gospel with your life, when you experience a life with Christ, there's something God does far more abundantly than you can ask or that word think if you translate it, imagine. Imagine. Beyond your imaginations. How many of you have learned that? That when you have gotten involved in a life-changing experience, when you've said yes to God, whether it's serving, some of you said, I'm going to serve in the mountain. I'm going to serve children. It's going to start with first graders. And you go, oh man, first graders. What am I going to do? And then God trusts you with a group of girls or a group of boys. And you start realizing, you start seeing God touching hearts of first graders. And you realize God can use you. Yeah, he works abundantly more than you could ask or think. Some of you really have struggled this past year with sharing your faith and sharing Jesus with others. But when you took the risk and you shared your story with others, it's amazing. Some of, some people actually responded to that. 
Some people actually took a step of faith and trusted Christ. God did abundantly more than you could ask or think. Some of you gave for the first time this past year. And you were thinking, man, I don't even know how I'm going to make it. Look at fellowship. They don't, I don't think they need it. But, but then God did something in your heart. And you said, no, I don't give because the church needs it. I give to give glory to God. And I allow him to work through that. And I'm going to take this step of obedience. And what, did, what happened? God met more needs in your life. Or God showed you, he took that angle that's so, that there's so much of an obligation to people and gave you an opportunity to invest in his work. Some of you went on a mission trip. Every mission trip I go on, I, I'm packing going, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? There's a lot of things to do in Topeka. But God does something in my heart when I'm on the airplane and I land in the land and I smell the smells and I see the people and I experience life like 95% of the rest of the world. And I start seeing God's heart for the nations. And he breaks my heart. He shows me abundantly more than I could ever ask or imagine. And God does that because the church is here to provide those life-changing experiences that people who are of faith, people in community will go and advance the gospel. So every week we send you out here, out from here. Not We don't try to keep you comfortable in here to stay in here. We want to send you out from here into a world where God is changing your life and his power at work in you. So at the end of the game, at the end of your life, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I remember when uh, several years back, I was able to get away from Topeka for a little bit and I went down to Dallas and I talked with other church leaders and kind of had a round table and we were sharing what's happening in our church and you could share your joys, you could also share your frustrations. And I remember as I was just sharing some of the frustrations of ministry at that time, our church was growing at a pace that I could not control. And I, I had an issue with that. I really did. Type A driven individual. Why can't I do this? I always thought I had to have all the answers for the leadership issues of our church. And one of the pastors, really wise guy, said to me, I mean, wise man, sorry, not wise guy. That's a negative term. <laughs> he said, what if, you, what if you were to lead your church like you lead your family? What if you started viewing your church the way God sees your church as a family, the family of God? What if those frustrations were, you know, they're going to be frustrations, but what if you gave solutions to those as a father gives his children. What if you start just, now no one call me Father Joe, okay? No one do that. But what if I were to lead like that? And I realized, I realized that set me free because I don't pound on my church anymore. I mean, some of us are not where we should be with Christ. I'm not where I should be with Christ. I mean, every week I realize, man, I need grace. I need grace. I need that. I need God to do something for me. I can't do for myself. I need to keep preaching the gospel to myself. But it's allowed me to trust people like I trust my own family to the Lord every day. We're a family, folks. We're a family. And we're brought together by the blood of Jesus. We're related now to God through Christ. And so I want you to, want you to think about this. If we're really here for life altering faith, life giving relationships and life changing experiences, why are you here? Why are you here? And you know, when our church, um, 
was at a size I could have every new person over to my house. We used to have pastor's desserts over at my house. And uh, we had the max of 40 adults upstairs and 40 kids downstairs. And so there was this, the house was shaking with all the kids downstairs as we were sharing. But we'd always ask the question, hey, why are you at fellowship? How'd you get here? Well, why are you at fellowship? And so I want to make this my home right now. And I want to ask you, why are you at fellowship? Some of you are at fellowship because your girlfriend said, hey, if we don't pursue God together, we're done. So we're going to church and you're here. Welcome to the family. (laughs) Others of you are like, "Uh, man, mom and dad, they drug me here. And that's why I'm here because I wanted to sleep. They said, you're not sleeping. It's the new year. Let's go. And so you were here, not of your own will. And the truth is, if you don't know your why, when you get your driver's license, you will drive away from church. You will not connect to church. And you won't come back until you're 30 and you have kids of your own. And and that's a very common story that's happening right now in the church in America. People, Young people are leaving because they don't know why. They don't know why. Others of you are here because I've always been here. This is my family. And you get it. Why are you here? Why are you, why did you wake up and come to church this morning? I want you to answer that and I want you to share it with the person next to you, whether or not you know them. Okay? Yes, life-giving relationships 101. Here we go. Share with the person next to you why you're here. Go ahead. Okay, you told me when you're done. You just died down. That's good. Okay. (laughs) Didn't have to cut you off. Why am I here? I'm here because I want to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. That's one of the big reasons I left our family company and went to seminary and got into ministry is because I wanted to be a part of a major spiritual awakening in a city in America. I had no idea it could be Topeka, Kansas. Matter of fact, I only knew it because it was a capital city and I had to memorize it for eighth grade. (laughs) But God has opened my heart to that. And as I've been involved in the church, I just realized there's people who haven't found Jesus. And it's based on, it's based on belief, a belief system in, in my, in my heart. And that is, I believe that God is inviting everyone in through Christ. Everyone. That Christianity isn't just for middle class white Americans. It's not just for America. It's to the end of the earth. That everyone is invited in through Christ. Not just a few, but everyone. I mean, it blew Paul's mind that God was giving the, his righteousness to people outside of Judaism. And it ought to blow our minds that God loves people. That God is for everyone. That Jesus Christ lived, died, rose again for everyone. That's the second belief. It's the second belief, is this, that Jesus is the only way. 
In a world that says there's many ways, as long as you're secure, uh, you're sincere, I mean, in your way, as long as you're a well-meaning individual, I'd like to think that God is. Jesus says, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, the arms of God are very inclusive. The way to God is very exclusive. His name is Jesus. And I'm convinced that everyone then deserves to hear about Jesus. Everyone. And so we need to be a church that, folks, none of us deserve to have Jesus. But everyone deserves to hear about Jesus. And so we need to be people. We need to be people who are willing to put our lives on the line to make Jesus greater on earth as he is in heaven. We need to be people who are willing to share him with others. And I believe, therefore, since everyone has the right to hear the gospel, God's great hope for the world is the local church. God's great hope for the world is the local church, is people who have been changed, who are in the family to invite others in. When you have a family that is thriving and you have friends around you who are hurting, the, the family invites them in. The family doesn't lock the door and go, aha, we have just enough kids. Let's get more. No, that ruins families. It, oh, when you open the doors and allow other people in, my goodness, the blessing God that, that God has given you can be given to others. And so therefore, I want to finish with three everything statements. Three everything or every one statements. And and therefore, everyone, that first point, since the church is a place for life-altering faith, everyone, everyone around us needs to be invited to faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone. We have a principle here of you and two. Because we think it's better for you to name two people in your life who are far from God. They may be in your family. They may be friends. You may work next to them, live next to them. You may study next to them in school. Two people who are far from Christ, who you would be willing to pray for. Pray and ask God for an opportunity for you to share Christ with them. And I just think about that. That's the number one reason we are growing is because you are inviting your friends and family. We're about to have starting point right after this service. And we asked that question, how'd you come here? 90% of the things are, and 90% is because I knew so-and-so and so-and-so invited me. I was going through a difficult time and someone saw that and they just invited me. And they stuck with me through this. Number one reason is people are inviting. But it's not just about church. It's about Jesus. You living your life so that others can see Jesus in you. You sharing your story specifically about Jesus. How many of you learned through Rooted how to share your story and are sharing it with others without just like, um, you know, go into a coma kind of fear? You're sharing it authentically with people. Not treating people as projects, but treating them with significance and worth and value. Everyone, folks, is invited in because we believe that no one deserves to have Jesus, but everyone deserves to hear about Jesus. None of us are here because we lived a life that was exceptional that God said, all right, now you are mine. <laughs> no, we're all here because we need Jesus. And we are, if you want truth be known, we are messed up. We are messed up and we are broken and we can be self-righteous at times when we wander from grace. And we can be judgmental at times. Christians are messed up. But they go to someone who's perfect. And his name is Jesus. 
And so, folks, every time we get together, it's not to say how great we are. It's to make Jesus greater in our lives. We all come to the cross. Every week we come to the cross, and the ground is level there. And we say, I don't deserve this, but thank you that I could have it. And we thank God for the gift of Jesus. We're going to be celebrating communion in a little bit. And that's what we preach the gospel to ourselves. And we preach the gospel to each other. You will see others taking this. They're saying, I believe Jesus is the way. I believe Jesus is enough. And we take that to celebrate his work for us. Everyone invited to faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, everyone involved in a loving community. Everyone We believe that being connected in a community gives an opportunity for everyone to engage life-giving relationships. We believe that we're better together than we are alone. And as we grow larger, we will also, we must grow smaller. You must be in a small group. Let me tell you the story about just me being a pastor here. About 16 years ago, we were, we were packing up to move to Topeka from Chattanooga, Tennessee. I had much more hair than I do today. I had an 18 month old. I had a four year old and a six year old. And, and, and we moved here as a young family. And look what happened to me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we had a hundred people at fellowship. And when I'd serve communion, like we're going to serve it, I, I used to have the whole church come up and get communion. And as they came up, I would say, Chris, this is for you. Angie, this is for you. And I would say their names. And then our church grew to the size where I could only go, you, this is for you. (laughs) And I couldn't get names anymore. And there was the thought that we were such a closer family back when we were 100. Now that we have grown, we've lost that family. But it just wasn't true. Because although I could see people and all they looked, they looked really good on a weekend. When they would come and share something with me in in my office, they would shock me. Wait a minute, you had a smile on your face on Sunday and, and you're going to a gentleman's club and you're cheating on your wife. Yes, a hundred people. Yes, there were a few. I'm not going to call out any names, but I mean, there were a few, but they shocked me because even though I knew their name, I didn't know what the rest of their lives were like. They weren't want, they didn't want to be known. And so they kept a veneer up of, look at me, I'm a well-adjusted Christian. But in reality, they were far from Christ. That can be our story. And as I've learned more and more about people, that is our story. And as long as you want to do life alone, as long as you think you just, God, just be better, or I'll never do that again. And you live outside of the community God has ordained for you to grow. You will crash and burn. You will show a good picture on the outside, but the God who sees your heart, you will not take pleasure in Christ. You will not delight yourself in the Lord. He'll be a threat to you because he knows. And we don't want to live like that. We want to be authentic. We want to be a family together. And that involves everyone involved in a loving community. This is daunting, especially if you're an introvert, which if I just took the room, 50% of you would be introverts. This will be a threat to you. 16% of people want nothing to do with a plan, no matter what. They resisted rotary phones until they no longer, I mean, they resisted touchtone phones until the rotary phone was no longer invented or made. And I think that's, us. There's 16% of us who go, I don't care what you say, I'm saying no. 
16%. We have got to fight through that. We've got to fight through through the progress of what God wants to do in our lives. Everyone needs to be involved in a loving community. This does not come easy, but it is for our best. We are better together than we are alone. And finally, everyone needs to be invested in the gospel. Everyone invested in the gospel. Why? Because we believe we are the generation that God is using to be a part of a major spiritual awakening in Topeka. We believe that God is entrusting people to us as priceless, eternal people who can make a difference in this world to advance the gospel, to to find Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to change their world, and to prepare for the return of Christ. We believe that that is, and therefore the legacy that we want is we want We want to be a people of God who are expectant for him to work so that we can go. Look what God did. He did immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine. And we will, we will then use larger to go further. Right now, as I speak, there are people in this room who are preparing to go to another country and advance the gospel through those lives. We will send them. We will help send them to go to those places that no one else wants to go to love people no one else wants to love. And we will support that as they're invested in the gospel. We're going to continue sending out. We're going to be continuing asking you to invite people in. But I just want to tell you, God has done some remarkable things on this journey called Fellowship Bible Church. I remember when we were 100 people, our salaries and allowances were 78% of our budget. Now that we're whatever, our salaries and allowances are 45%. Do you know what that means? And by the way, the average church in America is under 100 So most churches spend all that they bring in on themselves. The average average American church gives 2% of what they receive outside themselves. And here's the contradiction. We want 10% from everyone, right? We want you to give 10% to the church, but we only give 2% outside the church. That just is inconsistent. So at Fellowship here, God has enabled us to unleash about 20% of every dollar outside of this church. That's 10 times the national norm. Now, we don't look at the national normal. That's going to increase as God entrusts us with more. So let me tell you, just a current reality. December. December was the most generous month here at Fellowship Bible Church, including our building campaigns. Including our building campaigns. So I just want to talk to you about what that meant. We had a Christmas offering in which we had two things. We wanted to take the scriptures and have them translated into a a language for a people group in the Philippines. That language people group is called the Menguangan people. They're actually in the south of the Philippine Islands. Here is, if you want to look at where that might be in the world, um, that's where it is. Yesterday... Yesterday, they started. In other words, we fully funded it. And so, yeah, you can clap. <laughs> Yesterday, they started the progress of, of doing that. And so in the new year, they will complete it. And we will get a copy, which we will not be able to read, but others will get a copy <laughs> that in a language where they actually realize God speaks my language. He speaks my language. And they'll listen and they'll look and they'll read it. It'll be one of the first books ever written in their language. 
I mean, we get to be a part of this. Please pray for them right now. Every translation group has had some type of attack on it that they realized was not just natural, normal. And, and it just goes in line that Satan would not want God's word in the lives of people. And so be, be in prayer for that translation team. They started yesterday. They're about 12 hours in front of us, so they're sleeping right now. So pray for good rest for that group as they wake up 12 hours before you and continue with the translations. But here's the second thing we did. We wanted to trans, we wanted to, um, we wanted to plant a church in the High Crest community. That's an area in town that has a high poverty, poverty rate. And we had been involved there for now over five years. And we just felt it was time to, to plant a church there. Last year at this time, it was like, if you would have told me, Joe, you're going to be planting a church in the High Crest neighborhood next year at this time, we'd go, no way. No way. There's so many other things for us to do. There's so many other things we could be involved in. No way. But we needed to bring, find the right leader, which we now have, Jonathan Sublett. He's right over there. Wave your hand, Jonathan. God has so far raised up around 50 of you that said, I'm leaving fellowship to be a part of this plant. Let's clap for them. And God raised... Every penny we needed to make this happen. Every penny. That was an extremely generous, an extremely generous outpouring of now we're going to be able to retrofit that building to really accommodate the church we want there. We're going to be able to fund a full year of ministry expenses because that church will probably not, maybe never be self-supporting. But people are going to have a church they can walk to. They can walk to. They're going to build a family in High Crest, and we're going to have leadership in that community. This past year in Topeka was the deadliest year for homicides in our city. We had 30. Wichita, three times the size, had 30. We need a change, and we're going to be part of that, hopefully. We're going to trust the Lord for that. But now I just want to just share another thing because this is beside the scenes, behind the scenes of immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. When we moved into that building over there, we built a staff area that we thought we'll never need a staff this large for people. And the church has grown on a weekend. The church has grown about six or seven times when we originally moved in the size that it was when we moved into that first building. So when we built this building, we built a staff area downstairs that we would develop, but we've never had the money to do that. And I remember when the church plant came up, back in my selfish mind, I said, no, we're not going to be able to do the downstairs offices. Yes, Lord. Okay. I'll get over it. I'll live in a cramped environment. I'll hear all the phone conversations of everyone around me. And I love quietness when I'm studying. So I, little things, little noises. My wife will tell you I'm a freak when it comes to that. And as our staff has clumped together a little bit more, it's been more annoying for me. And so I'm always saying, Lord, Lord, I need, we need more office space, Lord. And as we have like, needed off more, we've changed closets into offices. We call them cloffices. <laughs> we, um... We would look at a room on how it's being filled with people and we go, there's a corner. Let's make an office out of it. And so we would do that. Well, we're out of space. 
face. We're out of space. We've got Bob Fulmer, who we recently hired for our marriage director. I think he's in a nursery chair. Well, you guys gave over and above our budget in December. And we're going to be able to finish our offices downstairs. See this? See this? So I would just say, look what God does when more people are invested and partner with us on helping people find and follow Jesus. Because we've made a statement. We're not spending this all on us. We will give more and more of it away as God entrusts more and more people and resources to us. Why? To make the name of Jesus greater on earth as he is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are your family. We have been, we have been brought near to you through the blood of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would accept your invitation this year to a life-altering faith. May we take you at your word and act on it. Lord, work through in each of our lives, no matter what we're going through. Lord, move us beyond fear. Move us beyond our worst nightmares to faith and trusting you and taking that next step with what you provided. Lord, I pray for each of us, especially those in this room who are most resistant to life-giving relationships. We'd rather do life on our own. Lord, Lord, just give us a better view of the family of God. Give us a better view of our own need so that we would engage life-giving relationships and protect those relationships from anything that would want to come in and destroy them in this church. Lord, I pray that we would be open to investing our lives and not just an hour a week, but our lives in all that we are to advance the gospel and the lives of people in Topeka. It's in his name, for his glory, that we pray. Amen.